0: The sponsor for the Shepherd's Crook podcast for the month of April is Media Gratier. Media Gratier is a nonprofit Christian publisher and filmmaker producing documentaries and multimedia Bible study curriculum with the emphasis on the means of grace and church history. You can visit MediaGratier.org or themeansofgrace.org and see the documentaries they've created and are distributing, like The American Gospel, Through the Eyes of Spurgeon, and Logic on Fire The Life and Legacy of Martin Lloyd Jones. Also great for small groups or Sunday schools, family worship, or individual study is their 12-week multimedia Bible study series, Behold Your God. These series are made up of two components that work together, a 13-week DVD set and a 12-week daily devotional workbook that has each participant in the Scriptures on their own during the week. At the end of the week, the group gathers and watches one of the 13 DVDs together and then discusses the work they've done in the Scriptures that week. Each DVD is made up of three parts, a historical introduction shot on location in England, Scotland, Wales are up the east coast of New England, highlighting a figure in church history whose lives illustrate the subject we're studying that week. Then there's a half-hour sermon from Dr. John Snyder, the series author. And finally, there's application points made from men like Paul Washer, Steve Lawson, Ian Hamilton, Sinclair Ferguson, Conrad Mbiwi, and many more. Take a look at themeansofgrace.org for much more on Behold Your God Bible Study series. And while you're there... Be sure and check out and listen to the Behold Your God podcast that goes up each week with Dr. John Snyder and Media Gratier Director Matthew Robinson. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor. Come alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. All right, welcome to the Shepherd's Creek Podcast, and I am on the phone today with my friend down in Nashville, Tennessee, Scott Thomas. How are things going, Scott?
1: Doing great. How are you doing?
0: Well, doing well. Um, it's uh, pretty weather up here today. We've been it's been crazy. We've had like. Well, it's typical Midwest, right? You get a 60-degree day and then a 30-degree day or a 40-degree day the next day. And, you know, all the spring flowers and trees are freaking out because of the weather. So I'm assuming Nashville's like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> gotcha. But things are, things are going well. Why don't we go ahead and pray, and then uh, it's going to be uh, just an honor to be able to ask you some questions about life and ministry. Uh, Father, we just thank you for your grace to us. I thank you again for technology and for uh, just the opportunity to talk to a brother and a friend about ministry. And I just thank you for how you've used this man in my life. And I trust as uh, we get to hear and glean from wisdom that he has from through the years and from in your word, that me and the listeners are going to be encouraged and challenged. And I just ask God that you would make this profitable, and I trust that you're going to. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, Scott, I tell you what, for those who may not know you, um, would you give us kind of an overview? Tell us about yourself, your family, and what it is that you're currently up to. Uh,
1: that's great. So, yeah, I've been married for 38 years um, this summer. to uh, um, I got married when I was six.
0: <laughs> okay, yeah, so you're 44 now. I get it, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: so Jeannie and I... Uh, met when she was still in high school and uh, got married when she, as soon as she graduated a month later. And we've been, uh, you know, in some really some exciting ministries going forward, and we've got two great sons. We just love the dad. In fact, they live in the Nashville area
0: as Wonderful. well. Wonderful. That's great. And then
1: three, grand, three grandbabies that we uh, are okay about.
0: <laughs> I'm sure, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And so that's our life. Yeah, we get to spend life with our, with our boys who love us and we love them and really get along together. Uh, super. I did. Um, yeah, I had the opportunity to serve in many ministries. I started in youth ministry, and I was a lifetime youth minister at the time. And then the Lord said, no, I want you to move forward, go into adult ministry. So I, I moved into an adult ministry thing, and I was lead pastor for 17 years. Okay. And it's and then X-29, I was on their board uh, for about 10 years, and they asked me to take over uh, to be the director and then later president of X-29. And So we had an opportunity to do that, do church planning. So I've been a part of church planning for uh, 13 years now hmm. in some capacity or, or another. And we moved to Nashville we're going to start a church planning school, but financially it didn't, it didn't pan out. Uh, It looked like it was going to be really good. We bought a house and and things didn't pan out. And uh, miraculously, my friend in Canada said, Hey, Lord put you on my heart. He had no idea what took place. Hmm. I love put you on my heart and I want you to move to Toronto and help me run this network. And Lord already been speaking to my heart concerning, you know, that and being open to what he's going to next. Hmm. So, yeah, we we moved up to Canada, Toronto at least for a, a period of time. But my wife's health failed um, with some kidney issues, okay. and that has kind of narrated our story for the last six years. It's been this background music that's been playing at the same time for for six years. Hmm. So, um, and then when she she relapsed about a year ago or so, a little over a year ago, she relapsed with the kidney issues and. Last time she went into some deep issues. Well, it was a year and a half. It was eighteen months, and it was pretty, pretty trying, pretty trouble. So, I told our president and vice president of the church funding organization. I happened to be with them one day. Said, "I can't keep doing this, man. It's, I can't travel the way I'm traveling." Right. And I said, "Anybody can do this job, but there's only one person who can love their wife in sickness and health." Hmm. So I've got to choose that direction. So as it turned out, they said, don't don't say you resign. Just take two weeks off, pray it through, think it through, you know, and let's just get back in two weeks. So it was during that two-week period that uh, Emmanuel contacted me and said, hey. And they had wow. no idea what was going on behind right. the scenes either. Hmm. And they contacted me and said, hey. And it was a church I was attending.
0: That's fantastic. Uh, I
1: was just a member of the church. And they said, we're looking for an executive pastor, and we think you're the guy. Hmm.
0: So, that is kind of a
1: mirac- miraculous way that God kind of pulled us back in. So, you yeah, know, yeah, I can stay, it can be available to my wife
0: and
1: hmm. still involved with church planning through Emmanuel.
0: You know, it's almost as if God is providentially caring for us in our lives and ordering our steps or something, you know?
1: <laughs> <Something> <laughs> I cannot argue against it at all because it's uh, not only in the Bible,
0: but yeah. it's,
1: it's also an experience that I have had in my life.
0: Well, good for you for making that step and making your wife a priority. We're going to get to some of that here in a little bit. But from the outside looking in, you've you've been a man, at least to me, who's who's been a man of of right priorities. And so I, I like from like, I have liked from the outside looking in, you know, seeing men that. I respect who also respect you and, and see you make those, those calls based on right priorities. And I, I appreciate that quite a bit. And I'm sure your wife and family does as well. Um, it was so neat when I saw you were jumping on board there, you'd gave me a little bit of a testimony about, uh, you know, you know, pastor Ray Ortland being the, the lead pastor there and writing about the gospel and creating a culture of gospel and his really in his little book in the nine Mark series and talking about that being a culture of grace. And then when I, uh, and actually that being a culture of grace there at Emmanuel, and then seeing you go on staff there, I was just really happy for you. So that's uh, that's, that's thrilling to see that come, come full circle, being back in the local church. So, uh, so you've had these, you just kind of laid it out there for us. You've had these several high-capacity jobs that require competency, administrational skills, preaching skills, just a lot of giftings, and require wearing a lot of hats, a lot of travel. You do have your two boys, and I know that in different seasons of life, um, when your wife can travel with you, there's there's different capacities for travel. But when children are younger, you can't necessarily travel as much. So how have you maintained over the years a priority of that? You kind of explained that a little bit just now with Jeannie and, and what's going on, but uh, the priority of marriage and family with all of those responsibilities. So Did you maintain a family day? Did you make sure you had an appropriate amount of time off at home? How did you kind of guard that to make sure that family was a priority for you?
1: Well, for sure. I have battled my entire life, not just in ministry, but in life of this performance-based to the To the extent when I feel like if I can produce, I am worthy to be loved. Mm. whether or not I am or not, I just feel like, okay, so I got to put myself in to be a, in position to be worthy of another person's love. And it's of course, it's a very sick way to go. so it's been, I'm you know, I'm a recovering performance aholic <laughs> where you feel like you have to Every day, it's like my name is Scott, and I'm a performance aholic, mm. and I felt like I have to do that. And so it's an everyday battle. And so that was true of my childhood. It's true of my teenage years. I was playing sports, and it was true of that. And when I got into ministry, it didn't just go away. It followed followed me, and I had to address it in a very serious way uh, with that. So I say all that to say, this is an ongoing issue in my life that I have to be really careful about. How to do this and how to prioritize right. But when my boys were young, I had a lot of regrets,
0: hmm. you know,
1: in ministry and life, you know, whatever all of us do. But one of the things I don't regret is the time I've had with my boys yeah. and raising my boys. I just felt like the Lord gave me some insight on how to be a good dad, and and it kind of followed it, and it's been been really good. And so now it's paid off. It's awesome uh, that we just have this super relationship uh, and spend a lot of time together. But when they were young, I didn't travel.
0: Okay. Uh, I
1: was a lead pastor of a church, and so I was, you know, of course, required to be there every week. And, uh, and so I didn't travel when they were go. It wasn't until they were in their teenage years that I began to start to travel. And then, of course, when they're older, you know, juniors and seniors in high school, then. Yeah, they don't. They don't even
0: know I'm gone. Right. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, that was.
1: So I, I made that a priority
0: when they were younger, That's and it's sort really of paid off. So uh, you know, I've, I've, I'm on the front end of this thing. You know, I've got two boys. I got a four year old and a one year old, and uh, you know, having a lot of fun with them right now. So when you, you say you got some things, what what were some of the things? Was it. That that you made a priority was it a um, was it a yearly trip that you took with them was it taking them out for breakfast once a week in the mornings what what were some things that maybe you know um, replicable that that was um, uh, you know something that was just like you look back and say man God had me do that and that that was just a really good decision that that really paid off specifically with my boys with my sons that I'm so glad we got to do was there anything like that that maybe we could emulate a little bit?
1: Yeah, well, we, you know, as a pastor, I was I was a pastor, you pastor, senior, senior pastor for a number of years. So there's a lot of pressures, and Sundays aren't always the days to spend with family, uh, particularly if you have a Sunday night service. Mm-hmm. And, or have responsibilities here for, because it's a multiple service. You know, so it's very difficult to do that. But with the, responsibility also comes a little bit of privilege of you've got some flexibility. Yeah. So what, what dad can be there for Tuesday at one o'clock at the, at the kid's school? Well, it's a pastor, mm-hmm. right? And that's right. Yeah. he, he's got some flexibility. So you, you work at lots of hours, but you're choosing which hours you work. So that's what I did. I just chose to take time when, when our kids needed someone there, whether it's for school or otherwise. I was, I was, Always there, didn't miss maybe two times. I ever miss anything that they were participating in. That's awesome. In fact, I was their basketball coach uh, for their school teams uh, growing up, whether they were playing in four year olds or all the way up to, to high school. Uh, I just was the basketball coach for them, and I could spend that time. And so, what dad can get off at three o'clock? Well, pastor, yeah, that's
0: because good. he started
1: at six and he's going to have to work again. Later on that evening,
0: mm-hmm.
1: so those are things that you know I just made my boys a priority, not overemphasizing,
0: yeah, but
1: make it a priority in their life and just poured my time into them. And, and you know the advantage is, and I I could say that was a chore, that was hard, but it was very easy for me because I loved my kids from didn't no matter what stage they were, whether it was a newborn or a two year old or five year old or even seventeen year old. I, I poured myself into them. I loved them, and I loved whatever age they happened to be in. So it was That's a real good. easy labor of love, if you will. It was a it was an easy thing to be able to do because I just, you know, I really enjoyed every moment of their life.
0: That's and, good. and
1: stopped, you know. And so I didn't do when they would go to bed early, you know, when they were young kids,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, six, five, six your age, your kids' age. Yep. They go to bed early, so I didn't do any studying. Or working prior to them go to bed, but when they went to bed, yeah, um, then seven o'clock or whatever. That's a, I'm not ready to go to bed at seven. <laughs> there's a lot of time in the evening where I can spend time studying and what have you, and that was a good practice that's um, good. that I did. I I, I poured it into. Them. Then I could really focus on them the moment they got home from school, all the way till the time they went to
0: bed. That's good. It's amazing how many applications there are to just being present and aware of your situation and who's in front of you and how uh how huge it is just to be present and there in the lives of our kids or even the lives of people in our church just being there and just being aware of what's going on and uh i I love that i love that and for listeners out there making sure that we're just present and and not just thinking about other things but actually present in the situation that is right in front of us with the people who are right in front of us is just so so huge it's good stuff uh
1: so good, so good. And that's even more we have to be more focused with this day and age of the iPhones and such. Mm-hmm. You're just smartphones where you have access and people have access to you and are texting you and you feel like, Oh, mm, I'm compelled to to respond back. Yeah. And this guy's like, You know what? My kids right now, my wife, whoever, my family needs me right now, the rest of the
0: world can wait. That's good. So good. Um this this question may tie into two questions ago when you talked about um, this this performanceaholic mentality that you brought into ministry. It was there from when you were a child, and I, I, ministry in a lot of ways can just fan that if it's not kept in check, and that you can fan the the hot coals of performanceaholicism or whatever you called it into raging blue flame fire um, if it's not kept under control and by the grace of God, we begin to, I mean, just stay in battle and just continue to battle with God's grace and his unconditional love for us. But I think that may play into this next question, but you spend past—you spend so much time over the years with pastors and currently, you know, you're working on a staff of pastors. I don't know how many pastors you have down there at Emmanuel, but I think you're a great guy to ask this question. Why do pastors burn out? Or disqualify themselves through moral failure. Why is it? Why does it happen so much?
1: Yeah. Well, I think it's not having people in your life. The bottom line, it comes down to it's a it's a walk with the Lord. But who is watching that? Who's who are you accountable to to be able to do that? Having that walk with the Lord, having integrity, having humility, uh, taking time off, etc. Who's doing that in your life? Who do you have? And that's quite frankly why I wrote Gus the coach was to be able to, to develop something so that people can come alongside pastors, particularly pastors, to ask them those hard questions that nobody asks them. Right? Congregants don't ask them that. The family doesn't ask them <coughs> that. Nobody's asking those hard questions. And we've got to have people in our life to be able to do that. So they're burning out because they're finding idols in their ministry. They're really finding, quite frankly, they're having an affair, uh, adulterous affair, if you will, mm-hmm. to the point where you understand Old Testament terminologies of having an adulterous affair with the church. Mm. They they're more looking at that as their value than they are in pouring in love and attention to a spouse. But it becomes someone has to come alongside them and ask them the right questions to be able to. Draw out. What really is driving you here? Mm-hmm. Why are you not taking time off? Why are you not spending time? Why is your wife frustrated? Uh, and, and people, people don't ask those. Normal people don't ask those questions. So right. you have to get into a, an intentional coaching relationship with someone.
0: Well, I, what I've seen, and because I've heard from guys who end up crashing and burning or failing more, and we just seen that we just saw this up in Chicago with a with a big name pastor who just Had no accountability, but verbally, he would talk about having accountability. As do so many of these other high-profile pastors who, you know, get on stage and say, "You got to have accountability. You got to have pastor. You got to have an elder team that stands up there and will call you out." And blah blah blah. And I don't have the freedom here to do what I want to do because there's so many checks and balances. But what you're talking about, so it's like, so it's it's almost like pastors that I've seen have just enough accountability. That, but it's fox accountability. It's not the real deal, you know. It's just like it's a token board or team. What you're talking about is actually, you know, like in your for real accountability here. You're talking about brotherhood of like uh, another man being able to say to you, dude, if your schedule doesn't change right now, we're gonna, I'm gonna talk to the rest of you. You're talking about real accountability here. In other words, correct? Oh, absolutely, absolutely, hundred
1: percent. And I've told guys in my coaching relationships with them, I've told them, go like, you've got to take the next two weeks off and they say, I can't do it. And I said, You don't have a choice. Mm. And I before I get into a coaching relationship, I ask to be able to have contact with the board. Mm, and so if it comes down to this person just will not follow through, I, you know, I don't go run to the board with any information, but I'll just say, Hey, you might check on Jason or other, let's check on them regarding their their marriage or their time off or what have you. I'm just not finding success there. And it's one of the agreements that we do ahead of time. So I'm not saying you should do this with other people, but there's got to be a pre-approved agreement that if this doesn't go further, a lot of times the boards are paying for it because it's real good. It can be helpful for a number of things. So this is a part of the trade-off. We're saying you have to do that. Mm -hmm. aspect of it but yes it's real accountability that you could there's a next level it can't be just like he keeps saying no and i think he's lying
0: Mm -hmm.
1: but i can't do anything about it there's no other person around that so real accountability has multiple layers
0: yeah and okay when you say this and i've said that because i've heard people talk about before in fact one of your former pastors i actually heard very visibly publicly say one time you cannot be friends with people in your church and simultaneously, talk about this word accountability. And I remember scratching my head and thinking, how can you have real accountability if you don't have a real friend? And I know that there are some dynamics there in the local church that can be difficult to work through when we talk about this thing, friendship. But um, is, and I could, maybe you and I may, we, I didn't ask this question beforehand when I kind of let you know what was going on, but do, does real accountability require real friendship? If you don't have real friends at a local church, can you actually be held accountable by that local church? Do you, do you have to fight for real friends on your elder team, deacon board, or people within your church, or not?
1: Yeah, and you, it first comes with an understanding of there are different layers of friendship. Mm-hmm. And, and so if you talk about, is this somebody that we go you know do sports with, or go hunting with, or whatever... Uh, that could be one kind of friend who you mm-hmm. hang out and you do coffee with and such. That's one kind of friend. But you've always got to have that person who's a mutual friend. And a lot of times, here's what happens, is pastors end up being, it's more of a mentor relationship. Okay. And so friendships look like mentorships. And what invariably happens is the pastor becomes the mentor to the other person. And when that pastor no longer is helpful or otherwise are even present with that person feel like oh well, i don't need them anymore in my life right because because they're no longer employed here at this church gotcha they've moved on somewhere else and they totally drop you uh and you go like oh well then we were in a mentor friendship not in a mutual friendship a mutual friendship is it doesn't go away no matter where you are what your role and position is you keep going so you've got to have different layers board members can be in that friendship place mm-hmm. to the to the extent that and then there's got to be inside the board maybe two or three who really you're pouring into and you're talking to and they'll go to bat for you and, that's good uh, adv- advocate for you so it's okay to have multiple types of friendships I, I like that um and yeah. in- Instead of saying, everybody's got to be in the friend category, you're in a friend category, but my friend category has maybe two or three levels. Yeah. But you have to have somebody, multiple peoples, actually. Mm-hmm. You have to have multiple friends who fall into the category of a friend who sticks closer than a brother, who can hold you accountable, who will press you when no one else will press you.
0: Yeah, so helpful. And
1: staff is not, yeah, and that can't be staff. Now, you can be friends with staff and you can hang out with staff, but to the level that you're held accountable, it can't be staff because if you can fire them, mm-hmm. then they're not going to hold you accountable only up to a point.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, you know, that makes sense. I think that, and the the category of friendships you just talked about, it's it's helpful way to frame that up as well. So I'm going to do some chewing on that a little bit and thinking through that. That's, that's really helpful. Um, we had you up a year and a half ago. You've been really gracious to come and help our church out multiple times, and been great. And in one time, we were sitting at a pizza joint, and you just kind of rattled off ten things about pastoral ministry <laughs> that were so helpful. They're just so helpful. And here you are in an XP role, and that the caricature of an XP is you know this highly administrational guy that uh, you know loves charts and graphs and but it's just really doesn't like people all that much and and yet you break that mold because you you seem to really love people, you care about people and you love the local church and it leads me to wonder why like why do you is that important just actually loving people and I think the answer is yes but why is it so important in pastoral ministry specifically to actually Love people and want and want to care for them, and not just see them as people within the church or even church members, but as as brothers and sisters in Christ, and and have having a deep affection for. Them. Why is that important?
1: Yeah. So the answer to that, at least an explanation of that, is you know I'm a pastor first. I just happen to be in this executive role. Um, so, but my heart is real pastoral in that respect. I got a chance to sit across a a young wife who was I was asking her a different question and she opened up and shared what was going on in her heart and life and you know, I ended up, you know, crying across the table with her and just totally taken by and empathetically involved with what she was experiencing emotionally. And we got a chance to, to pray that through and see how the Lord could in fact be working this working this out. And that that brings me great joy to be able yeah. to do that. And I happen to be in this role to be able to help young people. Um, and I, so I bring the, not only pastorally, but I bring in the administrative piece of it. And I don't see it as administrative. I see it as I'm releasing, particularly the lead pastor, Ray Ortland and the incoming lead pastor, T.J. Thames, to, to be able to do what they're called to do.
0: Mm, I I
1: get, and so every time I serve the the entire staff, I get to do something to take off their plate so they don't have to think about finances or those kinds of things. They can serve people. So I'm serving people through their hands and their mouth and their service to the the kingdom, and that's true of every every one of them. And, you know, you love people because (coughs) you love the Lord, and the Lord loves people. Yeah. He, he's the one that sees the bride who is not perfect. That's us, mm-hmm. and says, "There's my bride. I love her." And so we have to be able to see people as people the Lord loves. Therefore, we ought to love them.
0: It's good. Again, it's also helpful, and and I see that, and see that even in the interactions that we've had with with you. And I, I think it, it's easy in ministry to lose sight of that at times of just seeing the people in front of you and just loving them and being present for them and and that's uh, that's so good. I love that thinking about the XP or your pastor first before your anything else. So, uh, what counsel? Broad question. Um, if you can narrow it down to a few things or uh, whatever you have for me, I'll take it. What counsel advice? There's a young guy on the other end of this going for a run or at the gym or driving in his car, and. He's wanting to get into pastoral ministry, or he's just now into pastoral ministry. Maybe a guy that's been in ministry for 20 years, but is struggling to find his way. And, and What advice do you have for pastors to be the best man that they can possibly be as a pastor, and as just a Christian man? What counsel or advice do you have for them?
1: Well, first of all, love Jesus. And there's got to be an intimate, close walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, Someone who you cannot live your life without. We're not doing ministry without Christ. Oh, if I need you, you're there, or in the name, just in the name of Christ. But we're doing it out of a deep, deep, deep love for Jesus Christ. Yeah. And He is everything in our life. I mean, we're we're pretty messed up without Christ in our life. And and with Christ in our life, we still fall and falter but there's just got to be it's got to be this love for jesus christ mm. so have have a deep if you don't have that love for christ and what that means and that that follows out with dedication to him, end time in the word praying all the, all the pieces of that right and then there's got to be a love for spouse like mm. because ministry will Pull that out. And ministry actually exposes the cracks of your relationship with your with other people, starting with your marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, so you got to love your spouse in all realms, every aspect. And even if things don't turn out right, and they probably won't, um, things will happen. Mm-hmm. You got to love your spouse deeply, deeply love your spouse, and then love people. And if you love your, if you love the Lord, you're going to be have integrity. Mm-hmm. If you love your spouse, you're going to have purity. And if you love others, you're going to have humility. Because with loving others, we take ourselves take ourselves down. We're not trying to elevate ourselves above folks. We're trying to get underneath them, lift them up, strengthen them. It's Christ, you know, taking the towel, wrapping it around His waist, and being the one who kneels down, washes the feet. Hmm. And what what was that? It was an expression of love for them. It wasn't doing a duty, it wasn't doing yeah. a job. It was, I'm going to show my love to him. Now go, he tells him now go and do likewise. So if we really love people, we're willing to wash feet. That's what it, it means to be able to show them who Jesus Christ is. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's not complicated. Um, it's, it's very simple. Love Jesus. Love your spouse. Love others. Hmm. It's integrity. It's purity. It's humility.
0: Well, I tell you what, if you can get to the end of, you know, let's just say formal retirement age is 65, and if a pastor can get to 65, loving Jesus, loving his wife, and loving people, and regardless of the, you know, looking back over the decades, and if that's still intact, then praise God. You know, praise God that that is successful, grace, gospel-powered ministry right there. If you're loving Jesus, loving your wife, and loving people, and there's not a, you know, um, root of bitterness, anger uh, at Jesus, your wife, and people, then success. Praise God. You know, that's, that's right. That's, that's right. It's not
1: counted by if I have a thousand people in my church or if I plant. 17 churches, or if I write three books, it's not counting that. That's a performance-holicism yeah. that comes to play in, in a person's life. It's like, what is he going to do? So, so, honestly, what, how you perform, if it flows out of your love for Jesus, love for your spouse, love for your people, then you may write a book, but it's like, I'm writing it because I love them, and I want them to see this. You may plant churches because you want more people to come to faith in, in Jesus, not because you're going to make a name for yourself. Oh, yeah. it, it has to flow out of those those motivations as opposed to separate
0: from. So Okay, well, this this has been a lot of fun, and I really appreciate you coming on. I'm going to let you give a little plug for Gospel Coach. If if you kind of tell us what you do with Gospel Coach, and if anybody out there wants wants your help or wants to find out more about that, where, where should they go, What what should they do?
1: They can they can email me, gospelcoach at gmail.com, uh, for if they want more personal information concerning that. But it's a it's a book we wrote simply out of the love for pastors that I had. A love for pastors to be able to help have someone to come alongside them, walk with them through all the trials and troubles and even not troubles and trials, but like I want to move forward and take it to the next level. It's having that person. But at the root of it is the gospel and we'll coming alongside as a shepherd. You know, the heart of a shepherd, not the heart of someone who's driving them, but who's walking in front of them. So uh, some great things are coming about. This continues to be now 10 years. We've done Gospel Coach.
0: Mm. um,
1: And you can get it on Amazon. Uh, It's published by Zonovan and still continues to be a a good seller. uh, the The Lord is using it because it's based on Based on the good news of Jesus Christ, not on the good news of mankind.
0: Well, I tell you what, I'll have to admit. Although I've gone through your um, Christian beliefs pamphlet PDF about 15 times with people at least, I have never <laughs> read Gospel Coach, so I'm going to have to buy it and read it. There you go. That's right. Yeah, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to get it and read it. So, thanks again for coming on, Scott. I really appreciate it. Everybody out there listening, I hope you hope you had a good time. And uh, Scott, really appreciate it, man.